0: Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. We're gonna get started. We're gonna be in the book of John, chapter 21, and that is the fourth book of the New Testament. It's the one of the gospels, it's about right here in a paper Bible, but we'll get there in just a minute. First, I have a question. Have you ever needed or wanted a do-over? Anybody? Yes. Yes. Do-overs are nice. I recently participated in a golf outing. I know. I look like a golfer, right? But I'm not a golfer. But some friends of mine and I, we wanted to support a friend who was having a golf outing. And so you have to golf if you're going to go to a golf outing. So that's what we did. We went to the golf outing. And... Uh, We learned when we walked in that uh, you have the opportunity to to buy a do-over at the golf outing. Some of you might know this already, but for $25, we could buy something called a mulligan. And the definition of mulligan is going to come up on the screen. It's a stroke in golf that is played from the same spot that a player hit their previous stroke, looking to redo the prior shot without penalty. Essentially, If you didn't like your first shot, you get to take another one and the first one doesn't count, which is pretty nice, right? It's a golf do-over. It's pretty good. Golf do-over. So do-over, I want to just define that. This is a Kathy Smarella hybrid hybrid definition of the word do-over. It'll come up on the screen. It's an opportunity to erase what's been done before, something that didn't work or that wasn't good the first time around. I'm sure we've probably all, even if you don't want to admit it, have wished for a do-over before. When I was thinking about this topic, one thing, many things came to mind, but the thing that came to my mind uh, right off the bat, the something I have wished for a do-over many times, was back from when I was in high school, and in high school... Went with a bunch of high school friends to the Great America Amusement Park. I think it's Six Flags Great America now in Chicago. You guys know it, right? You know the fountain that's right in the front when you walk in the door? Yeah, that fountain. I fell in headfirst in front. I'm not even kidding. In front of all of my high school friends, headfirst, plop, into the fountain. Jumped on that ledge. If I could have a do-over, I would not fall in that fountain. That would be nice. It would be a good do-over for me to have. But a couple of thoughts as we think about do-overs, just so you can connect to this. Have you ever wished for a relationship do-over? Where maybe with a friend, maybe even with your spouse, you've said something that wasn't appropriate or nice or kind, and you wish that you could take it back. You wish you had a do-over on that conversation. Anybody? Uh, parenting do-over. If you're a parent in the room, I'm sure this is actually probably all the other services, not you. You've probably never yelled at your children when they didn't deserve it, right? And so, but some people have. Not you, but some people. They probably have wished for a parenting do-over. And then another thing that came to my mind was a financial do-over, Have you ever made an investment that you wish that you could take back? Or you've purchased something that is not returnable, but you know it's not money that you should have spent? Anybody? A little bit, I see some nods here and there. So for me, now I need you to know, some of you might think less of me when I tell you this example. Uh, I really wanna be a dog person. I want to be a dog person. I like dogs. I grew up with dogs. Uh, so many years ago, I decided that I was going to get a puppy. And it was not an inexpensive puppy. It was an expensive puppy. So it cost me a lot of money. But then when you get a dog, a puppy, you have to have all the things that go with the dog, right? You need the kennel, and you need the little bowls, and they need to be cute, whatever. The dog needs toys, that kind of stuff. So it's a lot of money to get a puppy. And so it turns out about 10 days in, I realized I am not a puppy person. (laughs) Yep, nope, not too stressful. It's too stressful. It caused me a lot of anxiety. I wasn't home enough. So I gave away the puppy and all of the stuff that went with the puppy. It was very expensive, but I can give myself that because we make mistakes, right? It was just a mistake. It's all right. Give myself a little grace for that. However, 10 years later, really almost to the month, 10 years later, I did the exact same thing. I was like, I can be a dog person. So I got a puppy, not a, not, not a cheap puppy. It was an expensive puppy and all the stuff that goes with the puppy. And 10 days later, I'm still so not even kidding. I'm like not a puppy person. And so I give away that dog too. And all of the stuff that goes with the dog. It's a very expensive mistake. I got a puppy do-over. I did not need a puppy do-over but I really needed a financial do-over. At that time, I would have taken the do-over on the puppy. I still like dogs, just so you know. They just can't live in my house. (laughs) A do-over is another chance for us to get it right, which is helpful. And I think we probably know this totally can apply to our spiritual life as well. Have you ever wished for a spiritual do-over? A spiritual second chance where maybe you wish that you could go back and instead of wasting that time not connecting with God, you would get that time back and you'd have a do-over on that time where you had spent time with God. Or perhaps you would go back and you would not commit that sin that you committed one time or two times or 12 times. You would have a do-over on that. It relates to our spiritual life as well. Here's the good news. Our God is a God that offers spiritual do-overs. The Bible is full of people that God gave the opportunity for do-overs. A couple examples. King David, he's in the Old Testament. You can read about him in 1 and 2 Samuel. If you go there, you will see that David likely wished he'd never watched Bathsheba take that bath, right? But... God gave him a do-over on that. And then if you think about Matthew, Matthew was one of the 12 disciples who followed Jesus for three years. But prior to when Jesus called him to be a disciple, Matthew was a tax collector. And if you... Look into Bible time tax collectors. They were not good people, generally. They were people who didn't have a lot of integrity. But Jesus comes to Matthew. He offers him a do-over, and Matthew takes it, and he follows Jesus. He becomes one of his disciples. God gave him a do-over. And you can think of, there's so many other examples. Mary Magdalene is an example. Zacchaeus, the apostle Paul. So God's a God of do-overs. He's a God of fresh starts of clean slates and second chances. Here's what the Bible says about this. In Revelation 21.5 And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then in Philippians 3.13 it says, this is the Apostle Paul talking, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. And then finally, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we may have heard this one before. Therefore, if anyone is in in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. Making us new, giving us a second chance, that's what God is all about. He's about that because he's got grace and he's got love and he would like to give us another chance to get it right. And today, I want us to look at uh, what I think is probably one of the greatest spiritual do-overs in the Bible. And when we see it, when we see the power of God's love and God's grace and his kindness, that can be a part of our own lives as well. And so we're going to head to John 21 right now. Use your paper, Bible, anything you would like. It'll be on the screen as well. But whoops! before we get there, a little bit of background. When we get to John 21, uh, prior to this, Jesus was sentenced to die. He died on the cross. He rose again three days later. So those things have happened. And when we get to John 21, this is the third time that Jesus has appeared to his disciples. And so uh, another thing that we need to know before we get here. Peter, who's one of Jesus' disciples, who really was part of Jesus' inner circle, uh, his last day with Jesus prior to his death was not a very good day. Peter had denied Jesus, denied even knowing Jesus, having any relationship with him. He had done that three times before Jesus died on the cross. And he's the guy who, prior to that, had said to Jesus, I'm gonna die with you. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm gonna die with you. So he passionately said that, and then he went and denied Jesus, denied even knowing him. So that's where we're at. That's where Peter's at. We're gonna talk about Peter uh, as we get to John 21. So John 21, we'll start with verse one. It says, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that was John, said to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. So I'll sum up the rest. Peter jumps in, the boat with all of the disciples and all of the fish follows, and they come to shore, and Jesus is cooking. And verse 12, it says, Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. So we invite them to breakfast, and we're going to find out that this is the beginning, this is the start of Peter's do-over. And what we know about Peter, if we continue to read the Bible, is Peter ultimately changes the world on behalf of Jesus. The title of our talk today is Spiritual Do-Overs, How to Get Yours, And the big idea today is we're going to talk about the grace and the kindness of God who allows us to begin again. So I'm going to pray. I'll give you a couple ideas of how we can get our own spiritual do-over when we need one. So pray with me if you would. Father God, thank you so much for who you are, that you're a God of grace, you're a God of kindness, you're a God who loves to help us begin again, to give us a do-over that's who you are. Thank you, Lord. I pray that we would have ears to hear what you want us to hear this morning. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So you can grab your handouts, and this is the first fill in the blank. We can get a spiritual do over when we watch for our second chance. We watch for our second chance. If we go to verse 3, it says, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And so I think it's important for us to dig into a little bit more of what might be going on with Peter. Uh, Because we don't know why Peter went fishing. He goes fishing, we're not sure. Maybe he assumed that he was done with Jesus or that Jesus was done with him. And he fell back on fishing because he used to be a fisherman. It probably was something that he was good at. He maybe just assumed that's what he needed to do. The other idea that I had was maybe Peter just needed to do something comfortable, something he knew how to do. And he knew how to fish, he knew how to do that. And so I, that part, I actually kind of get that because when we're doing a hard thing, is it not sometimes easier? to not do the hard thing and get distracted by easier things right so as i was writing this message this is when the example came to my mind my message writing for me is hard it takes a different part of my brain i have to work pretty hard at it and while i'm doing that there are many many other things that are a lot easier to do and so as i'm writing the message i'm thinking to myself well you know i probably should put this aside for a minute because i really need to write some thank you notes because that's easier, <laughs> and I'd rather do that. Or maybe I, I probably should work on my to-do list so that I can be more effective when I have to work on the message because I have my list done and it's not in my head. It's just easier, honestly. Or it's quite possible that my message will be better if I have another cup of coffee, and I should go get another cup of coffee and be distracted by all the people who I'm going to talk to on the way to get coffee, and then I don't work on my mess. You guys get what I'm saying? Right? It's sometimes easier to put the hard thing aside and do the things that are easier. (laughs) Anything that might keep me away from doing the thing that's harder. So maybe that was where Peter was at. Maybe fishing was just easier. But then enter Jesus. Jesus comes into the picture. He comes to the beach and he sees that they're fishing, and he yells out from the shore, friends, haven't you any fish? Haven't you any fish? See, the thing is this. Peter, or Jesus, goes to where Peter is. He goes to the beach where Peter is at, and he seeks him out. He initiates the conversation from the shore. Haven't you any fish? He knows that Peter's out there. He's, what he's doing is he's bringing Peter his second chance, And Peter doesn't even know it yet. That's what he's doing. Jesus isn't, this is so significant. Jesus is not waiting for Peter to come to him. He goes to Peter. You know, Jesus knew everything that had happened. He knew that Peter had denied him. He told Peter that he was going to deny him. He knew that Peter made a mistake, but he knew that Peter was flawed. Just like all of us are. He knew that Peter had messed up, but what Jesus does is, Jesus doesn't throw in the towel. Jesus doesn't give up on Peter. Jesus doesn't say, all right, I'm done with that guy, and I wasted three years, didn't I? That's not what Jesus says. He sought Peter out to invite him back in, and that is the same Jesus that we have. It's the same Jesus who knows that we are flawed, and that we are broken, and that we are sinful, and he comes to find us, and he doesn't give up on us. It's really important for us to remember that, to know that. You can write down uh, this on your handout. God doesn't give up on flawed people. Instead, he invites them back. It's really good news, if you didn't know. It's really good news. And the way that he does it for Peter, I love this. This is something new that I think that God showed me in the midst of studying for this. Uh, I love this. Peter, so Peter's in this place. He's messed stuff up with Jesus, maybe in his mind. It's forever. And if you're Peter, if I'm Peter, I'm replaying that denial over and over and over in my head. That's probably what I'm doing. Maybe that's what Peter's doing. But then Jesus comes and he seeks him out. And he doesn't just come and say, okay, Pete, hey, come on back, it's all right. This is what he does. He reminds Peter of how he called him in the first place. If you go back to when Jesus and Peter first got connected, when Jesus first sought Peter out, it's in Luke five, you can go back and you can read it. But Peter was in a boat, Peter had been fishing all night long and caught nothing. Jesus comes to the shore. Does this sound familiar at all? Jesus comes to the shore. He tells Peter to try fishing one more time. And he puts the net down, and this ridiculous, miraculous catch of fish end up in the net. And what Peter does in that first moment with Jesus in Luke 5, is he gets down on his knees and he's like, I am not worthy. I know who you are, Jesus. I understand that you're the Messiah and I am not worthy even to be in your presence. But Jesus invites him anyway. He invites him to drop everything, to drop the fish, to drop the boat, to drop the job and come and follow Jesus. And that's what Peter does. And now we're in John 21. Peter has denied Jesus. He's living in this shame and embarrassment, and he's in a boat, and he's fished all night long, and he's caught nothing, and Jesus comes, and he says, put the net down one more time, and this crazy, miraculous catch of fish comes into the net. Peter, he's got to be thinking about that first time, right? Because it's almost exactly the same thing. He's got to be thinking about that. He's got to be remembering how his life changed that day. And that's what I think Jesus wanted Peter to remember. It's exactly what Jesus wanted Peter to remember. That first time around, Peter was not worthy to follow Jesus, and yet Jesus asked him anyway. And the second time around, Peter was not worthy to follow Jesus. And yet, Jesus is inviting him back anyway. Because though Peter might have sinned, Peter might have denied Jesus, Jesus hasn't changed. Jesus is still the same. He's still the one who can provide fish when there are no fish. And he is still the one who is worth giving up everything to follow. It's such a beautiful picture jesus is so incredibly creative about how he calls us because here's the thing about jesus he's an initiator god is an initiator not just for peter he's an initiator for us look at these few verses john 3 16 for god so loved the world that he gave he gave his one and only son Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then in Ephesians 1.4, He chose us in him before the creation of the world. And then Revelation 3.20, Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. I'll eat with that person and they with me. So Jesus came after Peter, and he's coming after us, if we let him. Because here's the thing that has to happen if Peter, if this is going to work. Peter, sometimes we know that shame and embarrassment can keep us even from lifting our heads up, right? If we're living in that shame and embarrassment. If Peter had not lifted his head up, if he had not seen Jesus, if he had not responded to Jesus, none of this would have worked. Peter's got to be able to lift his head up and look at Jesus in the midst of his shame and his embarrassment and whatever else is going on. He's got to look up for Jesus to be able to make a difference. I want to tell you a little story that of how this played out in my life just a little bit. Uh, we... One of the things I get to do here at the Vineyard is uh, oversee our community center. It's about four miles down the road, and uh, it's in a subsidized housing area. And God has been moving. We've been doing it for not quite two years, but God has been moving, things are happening, and it's exciting ministry to be a part of. But about two weeks ago, we had a pretty rough week at the community center. We had kids who were yelling at other kids. We had moms who were yelling at other moms. There was a lot of yelling. There was a lot of accusation going around uh, for the first time ever. And I actually think, you know, it's not bad. After almost two years, the first time we got vandalized, someone um, threw eggs at our building. Which, by the way, 95 degrees, eggs on your door step. It's not pretty. It's not a good time. It smells pretty bad. But So those things had happened, and in the midst of it, I was trying to be helpful. I was trying to resolve some of the things that were happening, and uh, truth be told, I was not very successful at it. Uh, I had people who were frustrated at me. I had people who were disappointed in me. Some of that was probably merited. Some of it probably wasn't merited, but— So there were quite a few days in there where there was a lot of tension and there was a lot of stress. And about four days into the mess, I was just done. (laughs) I was just, like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I'm embarrassed by some of the ways that I handled things. I don't think that I handled them the best that I could. And I just want to be done with this. I want to go home. I want to sit on my couch. And I want to watch all nine seasons of The Great British Bake bake Off because that would be more fun. Right? Yeah. That would be more fun, and this is not fun anymore. But that, it doesn't really work, right? You know, if you're called to something that God has asked you to do, that doesn't really work, to stay away. And so, uh, after a little bit, and by little bit, I don't mean an hour or two. I really mean a day or two. I got up, got myself up. I opened this book and spent some serious time with God. I repented of a few things that I needed to repent of. And I said yes again. One more time. And you know what? Here's the thing. God was waiting for me to do that. He was waiting for me to see him. He was waiting for me to connect with him. He was waiting for me to do that. To look up. him. So the lesson for all of us is if we're living in shame or disappointment, shame at what we've done, or maybe even what we haven't done, for a minute that's okay because conviction from the Holy Spirit is not a bad thing. But if we stay there, if that is the thing that keeps us from seeing Jesus, that's not where we want to be. It's not where we want to be. You can fill this in on your handout. Don't let yesterday's mistake keep you from today's invitation. So my question for all of us, has Jesus been inviting you into a second chance and you missed it? Or have I missed it? It's time to hold your head up. It's time for you to look at Jesus. So that's the first point. We can get a spiritual do-over when we watch for our second chance. And the second point is this. We can get a spiritual do-over when we aggressively move toward Jesus. When we aggressively move toward Jesus. So if before we saw old fisherman Peter, who's like going back into his old ways, Now we get to see the Peter that we have come to know and love because Peter is aggressive. We've seen this before. He—oh wait, I need to read the verse. Verse 7. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he jumped into the water. Peter jumped because he's spiritually aggressive. He wants to get to Jesus as fast as he can. This is the Peter that we've seen. You know, he's the one—the who first time Jesus called, He left everything. He left the boat. He left the fish, and he followed Jesus. There was another time when Jesus is out in a storm, and he's walking on water toward the disciples who are in a boat, and Peter's like, I want to go out there too. And so he's the one who walks on water with Jesus. By the way, he probably didn't need to jump because the boat was only 100 yards from shore, and maybe the boat even got there faster. But he jumped because it was Jesus. He jumped because he was spiritually aggressive. And that word aggressive, I know sometimes it can have a negative connotation for us, like it can be connected to negative things, but aggressive can also mean determined, and it can mean passionate, and it can mean motivated and spiritually Those are good things. To be spiritually passionate, to be spiritually motivated and spiritually determined, those are good things because spiritually aggressive people don't wait to do the things that Jesus has asked them to do. They don't wait. When we think about the Bible and we think about people who have been like this, the Apostle Paul comes to mind. You know, the Apostle Paul, uh, Jesus gave him his do-over on the way to Damascus. He was on his way to round up the Christians and to uh, put them in jail, possibly have them killed. And he meets Jesus on the road and he's blind for three days. And then he becomes a follower of Jesus. And very soon, almost immediately, he begins to tell people about Jesus. In Acts 9, 19 and 20, it says Saul, who is Paul, he spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. It's a pretty dramatic turnaround. He was a persecutor of Christians, and then he became a preacher, hoping that other people would become Christians. He's spiritually aggressive. And between Peter and Paul... We get to know the gospel. They spread the gospel throughout the known world, and we get to be a part of it because of men like them. Spiritually aggressive men like them. You can write this down. We need spiritually aggressive people to move God's kingdom forward. So we have a number of people at the church who I know, this is in them. This is in them. There are countless examples. Uh, I really do think this is why God can use our church, because we have people like this. Uh, one that I'm going to talk to you about today is a gal named Vicky Topolsky. Uh, her picture that's Vicky. Um, Vicki is uh, one of the leaders at our community center, and over the last year, uh, God has just really used her. She has been at Vineyard for a while, but it was about a year ago that she recommitted her life to Jesus, and she began saying yes to him, to the things that he asked her to do. Uh, She essentially got a redo, right, as a follower of Jesus. He's opened doors for her, and she really has just charged through them. Here's a list of things that Vicki has been doing in the last year. She uh, grocery shops every week for the community center. If you didn't know, there's a lot of food that happens at the center, and Vicky does the grocery shopping. She became a student and graduated from the Vineyard School of Ministry. She serves as a leader at the community center, sometimes two and three times a week. She went on a mission trip right now she's discipling a new christian and she's helping me to lead a mission trip this summer here's the thing she says yes to god right away almost every time she's jumped at so many spiritual opportunities that god is using her and it's changed her i know vicki pretty well i know that she is more passionate about jesus than she has ever been before i know that she finds joy in telling people about jesus and i'm not even sure she told people about jesus before and i know she's more generous all of these things it makes a difference when we see that god is inviting us to something we should say yes we should jump at those opportunities no matter your age younger or experienced No matter how long you've been a follower of Jesus, no matter what your past looks like, if Jesus invites you to something, say yes. I'm going to end with a little story. Uh, A couple years ago, I got this tattoo on my arm. Now, if you don't like tattoos, pretend you do just for a minute, okay? Uh, It says, Jesus, because you say so and it's based on Luke 5. It's one of the passages we read earlier. It says, Luke 5 5, because you say so, I will let down my nets. That's Simon Peter talking. It's his first uh, experience with Jesus. And I put this on my arm because I want to remember to do the things that Jesus asks me to do. Not to question it, not to wonder why, just to do it. Jesus, because you say so. And literally the same day that i got this tattoo on my arm uh god asked me to do something that i thought was dumb it, i didn't think it made any sense to me to me at all and so <laughs> yeah uh i didn't want to do it so it involved picking someone up on the side of the road now i knew this person it was not a stranger don't worry. Uh, but I knew this person. It was about, he was walking down the side of the road. It was really, it was, had to be like 95 degrees and humid. It was really hot. And I felt like God told me to pick him up and to bring him where he needed to go. And I didn't wanna do it. Cause this person in the past had not been very nice to me. And in fact, had really said some mean things to me before on more than one occasion, and I didn't really want to spend time with this person in the car. But God had told me to pick him up, and I didn't want to do it. So you know what I did? I drove right past him. It's true. Drove right past him. But then what God said to me, and it was not audible, but I know in my spirit this is what God said to me. So that tattoo on your arm, is that just a joke to you? Oh, it hurt my heart. Jesus gave me a do-over, he gave me a do-over, and I turned around and I went back and I picked the guy up and I gave him a ride to where he needed to go. And nothing monumental happened in that moment, but I'm telling you, the idea of doing whatever Jesus says, Jesus, because you say so, that stuck with me. That is potentially life-changing. Jesus, because you say so. So my final question for all of us is this. When Jesus invites you to jump, what are you going to do about it? So Pastor Steve's going to come up and lead a ministry time. Just to recap, we can get a spiritual do-over when we watch for our second chance and we aggressively move toward Jesus.